Sometimes when I read the Bible, it seems that it was written for very different people to me, people with very different experiences in different times and places, and rather remote from my life. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I think, I really need to get into their mindset and understand in order to apply this. I'm pleased to say that today is not one of those days. This passage from uh, the 15th chapter of First Letter to the Corinthians seems to me to be speaking exactly to people who think like us. It means today, I think, pretty much what it did to its original readers. It is as relevant to the church in England 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ as it was to the church in Corinth just a few years after. The church was struggling with a very similar question. What is it exactly that we believe? I say the church was struggling. The church, I think, had the doctrine worked out. But individual Christians, individuals who met to worship, to listen, all of them had the same discipleship that we do. And they had to work out, do I really believe this? Is this really true? And I recall one experience I had when I was only recently ordained, not ordained, um, licensed as a, a lay reader when I had to take a funeral. And the point at which you put your hand on the coffin of someone you've loved and face a room full of grieving people and proclaim that Jesus Christ has triumphed over death, you really need to face the fact, do I believe this? Am I that confident to say that Christ is risen? That I can say that in the presence of these people? It's worth noting that there were people in Corinth, members of the church, who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is a church that had heard the apostles preach. This is a church that was part of the community that gave us the Bible. Part of the church that kept our faith through the worst times of persecution. And they found it hard to believe that the dead could live again. We're told sometimes that this has been made difficult to believe by advances in modern science, or comparative religion, or psychology, or techniques of biblical criticism, that that has changed the way we think and made it harder to believe. Well, perhaps, but it was always hard to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, people have always been able to imagine that death wasn't quite the end. The Greeks had the idea of a ghostly afterlife, where perhaps the offering of wine or blood might recall some memory to a departed spirit. And there were ideas of reincarnation, that perhaps something of our soul would go into a new body. But physical, bodily resurrection, the idea of Graves opening and life restored has never been easy to accept. So where I'd like to start is that if 
you are a person who finds belief in the resurrection hard, you aren't alone. There have always been Christians who found that hard. And Paul doesn't condemn those Christians. He doesn't say they don't belong in church. He doesn't say they aren't part of his community. He doesn't ask others to exclude them or stay away from them. But what he does do is write to them and say, think seriously. Think rationally about what it is you do accept, what it is you do believe and work out from that what is true. And he starts with Jesus. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus can't have been raised either. The objection I think he has in mind is someone who says it's absolutely impossible for a dead person to live again. And of course, if that's right, Jesus died and Jesus would still be dead. And we aren't here to proclaim that Jesus is dead. We're not here to say Christ was crucified and stop there. We're here to say that Jesus lives, that the tomb was empty, that the grave clothes were abandoned, that the stone had been knocked aside, that Jesus is alive. And if Jesus' body is alive, then resurrection is a possibility. It can happen. It must be a possibility because it happened to Jesus. And so when we are promised that this is also a reality for us and those we love, we can believe that. Is it true that we're here only because Jesus lives? Could we have a Christianity without the empty tomb? Would there be any point to us meeting in church if we did not believe in the risen Christ? I think some people say there would be. And it's true that we would still be good to meet together. The social aspects of the church would still be worth doing. We could still meet to worship. We could still have shared stories and comforting traditions. We could still have excellent moral precepts and examples. And that isn't nothing. On the contrary, those are good things. They must be things that were making those Corinthian Christians who doubted continue to attend. But for Paul, they aren't enough. They aren't the gospel. Those good things do not make up for what we lose if we take the resurrection out of Christianity. That's why he says, he proclaimed and the Corinthians believed that Jesus was raised. And he says, if that's wrong, I've misrepresented God. If it's not true that Jesus is alive, any good thing that we have here in this church, however worthy, is ultimately built on a lie or a delusion. 
And Paul had a sufficiently healthy respect for truth not to find any comfort in basing a good life on a lie. The gospel doesn't only lose its truth if we don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. It loses its power. Paul says that if Christ is not raised, our faith is futile. It can't do anything, it can't achieve anything. If Christ isn't raised, everything that you are trusting God for is in vain. Because the final word in your life will be one of death and loss and not of triumph. Worse still, without the resurrection, even in this life, even while we still breathe, we are disappointed in the thing that we come to church for because we're still in our sins. There is no forgiveness. Why does Paul say that? It's because you and I and everyone we know have at times been selfish or dishonest, uncaring or unkind or unfair and sometimes even deliberately cruel. Those are facts. We have done those things. We are the sort of people who do those things. That is the truth about us. To take away that guilt, to absolutely remove from us the taint of sin, is exactly as impossible as undoing death. It is unworking something that has happened in this world and restoring something which has been lost. Restoring us to innocence is as hard as restoring a corpse to life. And if the gospel doesn't have that power, if the gospel doesn't have the power to say, Christ was dead and now he is alive again, we cannot trust the gospel to say, we were sinners, but now we are friends of God. The resurrection is the promise of new life. If Jesus is raised, Jesus is Lord over sin and death. And if Jesus is Lord over sin and death, then I am restored and forgiven eternally. But only if Jesus is Lord. Only if Jesus is raised. So Paul says, if there is no resurrection, we are most to be pitied. If we are hoping in Christ only for this life, our religion isn't worth doing. And those who die in our faith have perished. They're gone. I don't believe that Paul meant to disparage the importance of this life. But he was absolutely unashamed in saying that as Christians, we have a future. We have an eternal hope. And that is worth having more. You hear some people, even some religious people, talk about the next life as if it's somehow unworthy or even mercenary to desire something beyond this. Some people will say we should instead concentrate in making this life as good as it can be 
And while we should do that, that's not the gospel. Yes, we should care about this world. Yes, we should try and live as well as we can now. But God has promised more, infinitely more. We're not just here for a few decades of existence to make the best of it. We shouldn't be embarrassed to say we have a promise that is not unworthy or selfish. It's wonderful that there will be eternal life. This life is amazing. Eternal life will be far, far better. Resurrection to eternal life is central to the Christian message and the Christian hope. If we lost it, we would lose something that is fundamental to our religion and to our faith. There would be no reason to prefer Christianity over any other faith or even over no faith at all because it would have no unique promise. And the proof is that the apostles already had a faith. They already had a religion. And they risked everything to preach Christianity because they had seen the risen Christ. But perhaps someone could say, well, I believe that Jesus was raised. I believe that that's true. But can we be confident that we will be raised as well? Wasn't the resurrection of Jesus special? Wasn't it a one-off event? And I was very tempted when writing this sermon to say, well, the resurrection of Jesus wasn't special. But then I would think the looks I would get would not be worth it. The resurrection of Jesus was special, but not special because it was a one-off. The resurrection of Jesus was special because it was universe-changing because it started something that is now accessible to all. Death has lost its power because of Jesus. If anyone trusts in Jesus, they have been joined with him in their baptism in his death. And he will not leave them in the grave. So if you trust in Jesus, You are part of that unique, universe-changing event. You are part of the resurrection. The phrase Paul uses is that Jesus is the first fruits, the first and best part of the harvest that was brought to God and made holy. But the first fruits was only part of the harvest. The harvest field is vast and it includes you. It includes me. We have Jesus' own promise that we would be with him when he goes to the Father. So in the light of Jesus' promise, how can we say that there is no resurrection? His story is our story. And it's our task now to live as people with an eternal hope. To respond to that eternal hope with faith, with humility, 
and with unashamed joy in Jesus' promise. How can we know that Jesus was raised? Well, historical evidence and the testimony of the church give us a foundation. But ultimately, the way that we can know is because we are here not to proclaim Christ has risen only, not to hear that Christ is risen only, not even to worship the risen Christ only. We are here to encounter the risen Christ. We're here to meet with him, to seek him in prayer, to listen to his word, and to live our lives for him. And it is from that discipleship, that encounter, that comes the proof that Jesus is powerful and alive and resurrected. It is an encounter with the risen Jesus that is an end to doubt. Amen.